Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Come out on a snowy, cold morning. That's good. (laughs) That's a good sign. We're glad that you're here. Uh, If uh, if you've been following with us the last several weeks, we're in uh, in a series on the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And uh, today, we're going to be uh, studying verses 1, chapter 1, verse 21 through 28. We're going to read that in just a few minutes. But it's all about authority, the authority of Jesus. That's what this whole particular reading is about. Jesus spoke, and Jesus acted in ways that are done and demonstrated his authority over our attitudes, our actions, and our words. Basically, he's to have authority over the way we live. For basically, that's what we are, attitudes, actions, and words. So we're going to be studying today about Jesus' authority over how we should live. Now, we decide who's in authority in our lives, and that that evolves as we age. As little children, we we have our parents as our authority. And soon we get old enough to go away to school, and we have an additional authority. You have the teachers and those in the school. They are part of our authority. Then as we continue to age, we'll get a job, and we'll have our employers will be our authority. If we decide to go in the military, we will have military officers who have, <coughs> who have authority over us. And all this time, of course, there's the authority of government. There's other family members. You may be spending time living with different family members, and they have authority. You have loved ones who have authority. You And who you follow is the one that you recognize as authority. Now, listen to the scripture lesson and pay attention to what it says when it talks about authority. It starts out, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. And when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, be quiet, come out of that man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. 
Now, Capernaum was a large city, well, one of the most influential cities in all the area of Galilee. It was the Sabbath day, and Jesus was teaching in the synagogue to those who worshipped as was their normal practice. And two things, two things happened that morning that established the person and the ministry of Jesus, and both involved his authority, the authority of Jesus. Both uh, involved his important thinking of the theme of Mark, which is Jesus' authority. Jesus spoke and acted in ways that were demonstrated, demonstrating his authority over our attitudes, our actions, and our words. The first kind of authority Jesus possessed was that he taught what was true when other the teachers were just guessing or waffling. He spoke clear truths. Other teachers, basically their technique was they would teach what other teachers had said. They were just guessing. They debated endlessly about obscure points that amounted to little significance. They spoke in circular logic. But Jesus taught truth. Not maybe this, maybe that. No, he taught truth. Now, where did Jesus get his authority? When somebody speaks with authority, you have to to have authority to do so. Jesus had three ways in which he had gained authority. Number one was creation power. If you read the first chapter of of the book of Colossians, it teaches that Jesus was involved in the creation of all things. If you want to know how something works, or if you want to know how to fix something, who do you go to? You go to the one who made it. And so Jesus had creation power, and that gave him authority. Secondly, Jesus had perfect knowledge. Jesus uh, was perfect in his knowledge, therefore he can be trusted to tell the truth about any subject, because his knowledge was perfect. And thirdly, he had moral perfection. In dealing with our moral issues, he is the ultimate source because he is holy. We can never forget that. I know we emphasize a lot about Jesus' humanness, but we have to grasp the idea throughout the life of Jesus, at all times, Jesus is holy. He is perfectly righteous. He can be trusted because he is righteous in motive, in action, and in guidance. So, these three things gave him the right to have authority. His creation power, his perfect knowledge, and his moral perfection. Now, who should influence you and I with their authority? Let's, let, let me give you a little practical advice on who should be influencing us. Ask yourselves, are they just self proclaimed authorities? They expect you to fall in line with their thinking because they think that what they're saying is so important? Remember, they aren't God. Just because they devote their, uh, 
their opinions or say their opinions are above God's doesn't mean you have to follow their directions. We have a lot of people today who are giving us directions, who are speaking as if they have authority. Do we have to listen to them? Do they have authority? Some people are just self-proclaimed authorities. They put out rules. We now have rules on what pronouns to use. They tell us to call our mothers birthing persons. <laughs> I can imagine telling my mother she's a birthing person. <laughs> I hope there's a lot of distance between us. <laughs> you don't tell, don't tell my mom that she's a person. Don't do that. Don't tell my wife she's that. Don't tell okay. They tell us what pronouns to use, what terms to use. Their, their institutions are putting out lists of words that we can use and words that we can't use. And they're saying, you better do this. On what authority? Where is their authority? They're telling us that we need to do this and believe that and all these things. Where do you get the authority to say that? Have you created all things? Have you created anything? Okay. Do you have perfect knowledge? No. Do you have moral perfection? No. They're calling for, they've established a war on our children. They don't have moral perfection. They've started a war against people of biblical faith. Do they have authority? No. It's self-proclaimed authority. Are you, they expecting you to follow them because they are bold and loud? Well, some of the most diabolical leaders of all times have been bold and loud. Rather, listen to this. This is the most important part. Here are the people that we ought to be listening to. Here are the people that we ought to be paying attention to and giving recognition as having authority. They are people who speak in conformity with the Bible. Now, those people you ought to listen to. If a person is speaking in conformity with the Bible, then you would do well to pay attention and give credence to what they are saying. Remember what God the Father said a few weeks ago, we were talking about Jesus' baptism, and, and God spoke in the middle of Jesus' baptism, and God said what? Okay, he said, this is my son. This is my son, in whom I am well pleased. In other words, he was saying, listen to him. Listen to him. Jesus deserves to have the final say. He has the real authority to define right and wrong because he has, number one, creation power. Number two, he has perfect knowledge. Number three, he has moral perfection. 
So the question is, will you accept his authority over your attitudes and your actions and your words? Now let's move to Jesus' authority over our actions. We just read how Jesus cast the demon out of this fellow that was in the synagogue, someone who had an evil spirit. And he proved that he must be obeyed. The Bible makes it clear. There is a, an unseen spiritual world in which there is spiritual conflict. And Jesus was not a stranger to such a world. Our initial scripture that we read records that Jesus, number one, he communicated with that evil spirit who possessed the man in the synagogue. Jesus uh, commanded the spirit to come out of the man. And he also told him to be quiet. The spirit obeyed and threw a fit of anger as he left that man. He obeyed Jesus. And the spirit recognized Jesus. He knew he was no match against Jesus' power. And so he left. The spirit was gone. He left because Jesus told him, Be quiet and leave. Jesus' power is so great that even the forces of the enemy are subject to him. Think about that. Jesus' power is so great that even the forces of the enemy are subject to him. Therefore, we do not need to live in fear of evil. We do not need to live subjected to evil. In Mark's gospel, we see over and over how Jesus conquered evil. Remember we said at the very first lesson in Mark, Mark is a book that has, it records uh, action and and, uh, things that happened in Jesus' life one after another after another. And as we read it, we find out how much power he has. We do not need to be subjected to evil. Therefore, are the only wise choices for us to turn over the authority of our actions to Jesus. Amen? Look how the people in the synagogue that day responded to the event. It was a big time, wow, movement or a moment in their lives. It was a big deal. The demon-possessed man may have been around that synagogue for who knows how long. Nobody could help him. The teachers of the law, they obviously didn't do anything to, to help this man, but Jesus did. And he got the people talking in the synagogue and throughout the area of Capernaum, which was a major city of Galilee. And the word spread, Jesus has the authority to command even demons. And that word spread widely. You'll notice that Jesus not only had power over what the demon did and where he took up residence, Jesus also told him to be quiet. He had authority over what the demon said. Now that's a big deal. What comes out of our mouths reflects what is in our hearts. And we turn over the when we turn over the authority to Jesus for our attitudes and our actions, we need to include our mouths in that so that our words reflect our hearts as much as our actions. So all three things, attitudes, actions, and words, should be under Jesus' authority. 
Now, let me, let me share a part of, of my testimony. It, my testimony is all about authority. Authority is all about following God. To be perfectly honest, as a young person, I became a fan of God. I was a fan of God. My education from grade school through grad school was focused on science and math and the application of those studies. And I had some very godly teachers, even in the public school system, who made it clear that God's hand was involved in what we were studying. I remember in physics class, the, we studied, for example, the human eye, and it's a wonderful, wonderful instrument, magnificent. But the teacher made it clear, this is from God's hand. We studied the human hand, a machine, a really, it's a wonderful machine. And we studied it, and the teacher made it clear, this is of God's hand. We studied the graph, maybe you've seen the, the graph of the, uh, ver the temperature versus the density of water. Strange graph. It starts out just straight line. The colder you get, the denser it gets. And then you get down around 32 degrees and something very strange happens. You get a little blip in the curve. Just like that. Right about 32 degrees. It goes. You know what that means? That means we can have life on earth. You have to think that one through. <laughs> but it's true. There'd be no life on earth wasn't for that little blip. Okay? And the teacher made it clear. This is of God's hand. And so my most spiritual moments were in science class. And I became a great fan of God and his design, and his creation. And I can remember even, uh, I was even defending God in debates that came up between students. But the bad news was, I was not in any way a follower of God. The Bible, God, Jesus, they were not the authority that I followed. Yes, I was amazed at God's creation. I was totally blown away by God's design. I even went so far, I totally rejected Darwin's idea that all that exists is a result of matter plus time plus chance. I consider that pure nonsense. Still do. <laughs> but I also came to believe that all that God designed and created had a purpose. God didn't create accidents. And that included us as individuals. Over the years, my desire to know God's purpose for me increased. But as to authority over my attitudes, my actions, and my words, God was definitely not in control. I was a fan of God, not a follower of God and His ways. Now, I had enough spiritual input as, as growing up, uh, to realize that as I approached uh, grad school, that being a fan of God and not a follower was not sustain sustainable. That couldn't continue as is. Something had to change. 
things came to a crisis. At a point when I was hired as a floor counselor for 60 men in this huge dormitory. And I, I loved the idea of the job because the pay was great. They gave me, to, just to be a counselor, they gave you an apartment. You had your own apartment. It was a nice apartment. I thought, oh, this is great. And they also, they paid for all my textbooks. Now, you know how expensive textbooks are. They paid all for all my textbooks. They, they paid for all the food I could eat. Now, that wasn't too exciting because the food wasn't real good. But, <laughs> but at least I, I had something to eat. So I had my own apartment. They paid for my books. I had all this food to eat. That's, this, to me, <laughs> uh, this was great. And I, I thought, I can't believe that I'm so blessed. But there are only two items on the uh, job description. Item number one was you had to maintain an atmosphere conducive to study. I thought, oh, okay. Number two, you had to be a role model for these men. Well, I was thrilled when I found out I had been chosen for the job until I found out what floor it was that I was supposed to be a counselor for. It was called the zoo. The residents were called the animals. <laughs> and I was to be their counselor. <laughs> I had my work cut out for me. Now, I had lived in this particular dorm for four years before that, so I figured out some ways to maintain an atmosphere conducive to study. I was able to come up with that. But I was haunted by being responsible to be a role model. Uh, academically, I figured out I'd be able to handle that role model thing. But as for my attitude, my actions, and my words, there was much need of improvement. And it bothered me. You know, theologians define sin as supreme self-gratification. Friends, at that point in my life, you could have etched that across my forehead. Supreme self-gratification, right there. That's where I was. It was a me-first attitude. That's what it was all about. And so I was haunted by this responsibility to be a role model. There was, uh, as for attitudes, actions, and words, there was much room for improvement, and it bothered me. It was basically a me-first attitude. And I had a very bad case of it. The pressure built. Finally, one night in my apartment, I got down on my knees, and I prayed, God, I know the direction of my life isn't right. And I know that I don't know what my purpose is, and I don't know what to do about it. And that's all I knew to pray. I said, amen, and I went to bed. The next morning, very next morning, I'm not kidding, 
there was a knock at the door. And I opened the door, and there stood a fellow who lived across the hall from me. He was a very well-known running back who had a very bright future in the NFL, and he uh, had been working his summer job. After his freshman year, he went to work in a steel mill in Lima, Ohio. If you know anything about Ohio, okay, Lima is to Ohio what Pittsburgh is to Pennsylvania, okay? Steel mills. Lima is steel mills. He got a job in a steel mill for the summer. And on that job, there was a horrible accident. One of these big I-beams was being moved by a crane, and he got clipped in the head by this I-beam. Almost knocked his head off. He was in the hospital, seriously injured. A staff member from Campus Crusade came and shared Christ with him, and he started to follow Jesus. Later, he became a student leader of a group of Christians on campus. Now, I knew this story, some of, some of it, since he lived across the hall. And I had seen the transformation in his life. And it was significant. I mean, when I first came to know this fellow, uh, <laughs> he was arrogant, he was obnoxious, he was braggadocious. It was hard to even be around him. And then I saw him transform into a follower of Jesus. And there he stood at my door the morning after I'd prayed to God for help. And I thought, this is great. I, this is wonderful. Maybe he can help explain my prayer. So I invited him in. We sat down. He explained to me about Jesus and I, I soaked it all in. What all were you saying? I soaked it all in. And he shared the gospel with me. And when he was done, I thanked him and thanked him profusely. And I told him, I said, I will consider everything you said. I'll consider it carefully. Thank you very much for coming. And he left. Soon afterwards, I decided to follow Jesus. To let him have authority in my life to be a follower of Jesus, not just a fan. And as I surrendered the areas of my life to him, changes started to happen. As Jesus entered with authority, certain things had to go. Other things needed to be added. One of the first things that needed to go was my mouth. Okay, there was no way I could be a follower of Jesus and keep the same vocabulary. No, no, not a chance. It ain't going to happen. So I had to put my mouth under his authority. The, another thing that had to change was, of course, my attitude toward other people. That, that me first attitude? No. My, relation had, my relationships had to come under his authority. And one of the first relationships 
that had to come under his authority was my relationship with my parents. Um, my parents were good people. Good people. Uh, really. And they tried with all their hearts to be good parents. But I developed this ability to keep them at a distance. I just kept them at a distance. They tried to be involved in my life. <clears throat> they tried to influence me in the right ways to go, but I kept them at a distance. And, and you could do that, you know. Well, where did you go tonight? I don't remember. Who were you with? Oh, just some friends. What did you do? I can't remember exactly. And it's, you know, it went on like that. And I just held, held them off. What are you studying in school? Oh, you know, the typical stuff. <laughs> and I developed a really great technique in keeping them at a distance, even though they wanted very desperately to be a part of my life. And I know, and I realized that I had hurt them deeply by holding them off. These were good people who wanted to be good parents. But I had hurt them deeply. So, early on, having put my life under the authority of Jesus, I knew I had to straighten things out. So, I apologized to them. Told them I was very sorry. And I, I thanked them over and over again for how hard they had tried. And they did their very best, and I, I thanked them for it. I let them know that I appreciated all they did. And they did. They sacrificed, they tried, they did everything they could think of. But I still was able to hold them off at a distance. And I had to admit all that to them and get that straightened out if I was going to live under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our relationship started to get much, much better. One by one, the areas of my attitudes, my actions, my words had to be surrendered to Jesus' authority. It's, it's another word for it is be born again. It's, it's called new life. It's called follower, being a follower. It's called that for a reason. And as we give control of our attitudes, our actions, our words to Jesus, we will understand what it means to be born again. Now, consider the authority of Jesus in your life. If after the service you want to talk about this or you have questions, or stuff, I'll be right over here by the bleachers and I'll be glad to talk with you. If you came today with a prayer request and you really want to have somebody pray with you about it, something's come up, uh, we'll be glad to pray with you. You can see Pastor Mark or Cherise. 
If you have a really big prayer need, a really big prayer need, <coughs> talk to my wife. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, have prayer, prayer with my wife. She'll take you right to the throne of grace. Before you leave here, you'll be shaking hands with Jesus. <laughs> but no, seriously, we'll, we'll be glad to pray with you. We'll be glad to share with you, talk with you if you have questions. But uh, we thank you for coming. Uh, just consider seriously, is Jesus the authority in my life? Is he, is he taking control? Am I changing things that need to be changed? Am I adding things that need to be added? Am I subtracting things that need to be subtracted? Is he in control? Let's pray. Lord, we bow before you this morning. We can't believe that we have the honor, we have the privilege of reading your word and learning more about you. We, we think of uh, your creating power. We think of your uh, infinite knowledge. Uh, we think of your holiness. And we, we realize how amazing it is that you can live in us and we can be your followers. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.